With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, Blazonettes? Tonight on the show, Tony and Grammy winner. You know him from In the Heights, Wicked, and Bat Boy. And bring it on, Alex Lackamore. Here we go. Back in. 
Then I go back to my desk, and I'm exchanging emails with my other coworker, and she sends me an email that makes me, like, crack up hysterically. Um, so when she does that, uh, I didn't realize that that same person, the same boss, R, <clears throat> he was right around me when I was cracking up, but I, like, cracked up and kind of, like, spat, like, kind of, like, <clears throat> like that kind of thing. And I did that, and then R turns to me and he goes, what? What was that? Did did he just spit up or something? And I was like, no, no, I, you know, uh, this Issa sent me something and it was funny. And he goes, was I cc'd on it? Um, but he was just joking. Anyway, very embarrassing, uh, embarrassing thing going on. Oh, I see Danny in the chat room says, come in. The first words I hear is Rye talking about having his pants down. Hey, ladies, I'm just trying to get to your level. Your level that you you guys set the bar last night, man. You set the bar, so I'm just trying to go with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so uh, thank you guys so much for joining the chat room, Danny. I'm glad you got in. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Shannon. Uh, any guests that come in, remember to remind them to log in with their account. Uh, and you know, shout out to anyone listening on the World Wide Web and on the phone lines. Um, it's uh, it's been a crazy day, and I'm really looking forward to talking to Alex Lacamoire tonight. Um, if you didn't hear before, he is uh, he was the musical director for Wicked. He was the musical director and conductor for In the Heights. And currently he's working on the new show, Bring It On. So shout out to you uh, in Atlanta, shallow ends there. Um, and I believe we have our guest. Uh, Alex, is that you? That is me. How are you? Oh, and we are now joined by Alex Lacamoire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hey man, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, good. As you can hear, everyone's really excited about you coming on. <laughs> totally. Thank you. So, <laughs> um, so uh, you know, I've wanted to have you sh- on the show for a while, and uh, and you're on. And thank you so much for coming on. I've I've uh, respected your your work for a, a few years now, ever since the first time I saw uh, In the Heights. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, thanks for doing it. I'm looking forward to this. No, oh, thank you, and I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Alex, you, uh, you, you just finished in Atlanta with Bring It On, a new musical. Is this based off the Kirsten Dunst cheerleader movie by any chance? Well, it's based on the franchise, but it's not exactly the storyline of the first Bring It On movie. Like, as you know, there's, like, five Bring It On sequels, and they all pretty much follow... A basic formula where it's you know two schools competing against each other and you know it's about going it's about cheerleading it's about getting to a competition and it takes place in high school so that was pretty much our template the story that we came up with was just completely different from all the movies but it kind of is in the same vibe in the same world and follows the the, the feeling of, of the Bring It On movies. Right. And um, what did you do for Bring? You were the uh, musical director for Bring It On. Yeah, I'm the music director, but I'm also the uh, uh, arranger orchestrator. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm part of the team where we get together and we work on the show. And I, I work with Tom Kitt to, you know, uh, orchestrate the songs for the band. And I work with the composers in arranging the vocals and and getting uh, the incidental music. And I also arrange the music for Andy Blankenbuehler to dance to whenever he needs a dance break for uh, for his cast. So I'm kind of in there in the you know playing music traffic control. Wow, so then you must have some sort of knowledge, some sort of dance uh, background knowledge in order to know what type of music to to fill in there when he asks for that, huh? You know, not necessarily. I'm actually a terrible dancer. (laughs) It's funny, and uh, my my family always uh, laughs with me about it because, like, I'm Cuban and I can't really dance salsa to save my life. But, um, you know, playing, uh, writing for dance music is not something that I uh, always – envision of doing but it's just kind of something that kind of happened it it kind of happened out of necessity like with the shows that i've been working on and um andy blankenbuehler is such he's so musical and the way that he describes what it is that he needs it's really easy for me to like come up with music for him because he knows what he wants the music to do he knows what kind of feeling he wants to emulate and he's even able to sing for me certain rhythms that he has in mind like he'll just say to me yeah the music needs to be like and I'm like oh okay you mean like this and then I play that same rhythm on the piano so he lays it out for me in a way that makes it really easy for me to write for him even though I'm not really a dancer per se 
But in working with him, I definitely have become more attuned to what it is that dancers do and what you know what kind of things they need and what they look for. So I definitely have been learning as I go in that respect. Oh, cool. Uh, well, you just mentioned uh, Tom Kitt, and you're working again with Lin Manuel Miranda on this. You've, you've you've become part of this this like Broadway dream team, haven't you? <laughs> it really is. You know, there was actually a really funny quote. Uh, about Bring It On, when people uh, found out who the creative team was for Bring It On, I think, I'm going to mess up the quote, but it said something like, wow, like these people are all working on Bring It On the musical, that's like using a bazooka to swat a fly, you know, <laughs> it's like, I felt very honored to describe us that way, so it, it's, um, you know, it, it is very much a team, but what's funny about it is that all these people, they're all my buds, you know, I mean, like, I've known Tom yeah. for, for years, and I've known Lynn for a while, and you know, uh, we, we're just a bunch of people who just like to get together, and we happen to like each other's company, and we happen to enjoy writing musicals together. So really, you know, it, it is a dream team, as you described, but at the same time, I'm going to work with, with my friends. So that's really the, the best part about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, uh, uh, so, so you guys just uh, had a run in, in Atlanta. How did that go? It went great, you know. Um, it, it was really intense, and I did a lot of, all-nighters and, and busted my, my, my butt to really, you know, get the show up because we tried to get a lot of stuff done in a very short amount of time. And um, it came out really great, you know, uh, considering that we didn't – we had about half the amount of time to tech the show and to rehearse the show as, you know, a, a show would on Broadway, for example. We were able to accomplish a lot and really just kind of tweak and fix the show to, to a place where I thought we did excellent work. So we know what we have to do moving forward and we have to make changes and we're all excited about – making those changes and taking the show to the next level. So it was really a successful run, and people seemed to really dig it, and I'm really thrilled that people were into it because I, I love the show. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. you. Uh, what, is, what is the next step? What's the next level? We are going to tour, actually. Uh, they just announced it that we're going to start touring around uh, November of this year, and we're going to start up in L.A. at the Amundsen Theater. And that's the next level. Uh, we're going to start rehearsals probably in September. And uh, between now and then, we'll make the tweaks that we need to do. We're actually all going to get together next week and have our post-mortem, as we call it, where we just sit around the table and say, okay, this is what I loved about what we did. This is what didn't work for us. And how can we make this better? And what do we need to do? Uh, it's about. Uh, it's like a puzzle, really. You know, like you yeah. change one thing in the later part of the show, and then you have to track that change to be the beginning of the show and make sure that everything makes sense. So, you know, you you have this work, but then you start adjusting one little corner of it, and it really it's like a thread. It, it adjusts, it, you know, it winds up unknowing, unbeknownst to us, adjusting other parts of that frame. So we have to kind of look at it the big picture and make sure that it's all one cohesive thing. So it's fun because I think we're at a great place right now, and, and um, you know, it's not like we have to throw out a, a, a big – huge, uh, you know, piece of the show. I think we're really in a great place. Right. Um, it's like a, like a domino effect sort of thing where you, you, uh, alter one thing and then everything else has to change too. Uh, okay. do, you, do you have an example of, of, uh, of that happening, uh, during when, when you were rehearsing Bring It On in Atlanta? Um, you know, I think we all agree, uh, the writing team, we all agree that something about the first 20 minutes of the show is not quite right. And, uh, you know, the big consensus was is that um, it's all about how we get to what we call the other school. <laughs> the way the show begins is that um, uh, Campbell, our heroine, uh, starts out, you know, in her kind of, you know, planned school where everything is going just the way she wants it. She's, the, you know, the, the queen bee at her school, and she has this cheerleading team who becomes the captain of it. And all of a sudden she wants it being displaced and goes to, like, the other school on, like, the other side of the tracks. And for us, how we establish Campbell and how we paint the picture of who she is and how she – achieves all these dreams is really kind of been a, a hard part for us about what songs we use to tell that story and how we flow and how quickly we, you know, uh, paint that picture. Um, that is the area that I know that we all just want to look at and make better. Because I think once we get to, quote, unquote, the other school, we're at a good place and it flows and, and, and fuels. And so I think for us, we just need to get that entryway, which is really kind of the, the hardest part of any musical I find is how you start the story, what's your opening number, how you present these characters, how you learn about who they are, what's the vocabulary. I mean, there's a lot that you have to accomplish at the beginning, and we're we're working on making that awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm seeing in the chat room right now, Alex, that there's some sort of uh, echo going on on my side. Do you hear an echo on your end of the phone line coming from me? I don't hear an echo, but there is a delay. Is that what they mean? 
I'm not sure. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna I'm gonna just <laughs> hang tight. Um, I'm gonna hang up and call right back. You stay on, and I'll be right back with you. You got it. Well, a certain way. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hey. Yo. Okay, you're there. Um, okay, yes. Uh, hopefully you guys can hear me better now uh, in the chat room. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so, uh, Alex, you uh, uh working as a conductor. Every move that you make signals a new musical rhythm. What what happens if you ever, like, have an itch was the was the cellist get confused <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta time it right <laughs> you either have to ignore it or just do it on the sly no it, it, you know a- after a certain point the band knows the music and they don't look at you for every single move that you do you know I, as a conductor you do a lot of suggestion you know you try to uh let them know where the beat is obviously but you also want to stay out of their way um one of the best things that one of my mentors had taught me is that for uh, a song, you know, you actually want to stay out of the way for certain grooves. Like, for example, like in a rock tune, you know, you count it off, and the song stays that tempo from the beginning to the end usually. You know, and in theater, obviously, sometimes the song will breathe, and the song will start slowly, and then it'll pick up, and then it'll slow down again and pick up. Blah, blah. But for a tune where you just count it off and go, you don't want to be what's called a groove killer. And that is someone who just conducts the entire time and winds up being ahead of the beat or kind of getting in the musician's way. So, you know, you try to really just uh, just do the skeleton, just try to do the outline and what you conduct and really just let the band do the work. So, um, but yeah, so if you have an itch, then <laughs> you can usually tend to it. <laughs> how how in shape do you have to be? Do you have to do arm curl exercises regularly? <laughs> you know, I do not, but uh, when you conduct from the piano – you actually have to use your head a lot more. And uh, I, I find that if I haven't been conducting from the piano for a while, my neck will just ache to no end. And <laughs> like, you know, I'll wake up after a heavy rehearsal the next day. I'm like, what's that pain in my neck? I'm like, oh, yeah, I was conducting. <laughs> wow. So you're just you're throwing your head all about then. And that, yeah, it's a, um, a lot of that. bobbing. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, well, at least you, from what I know about you, you can rely on your hair in that regard, probably, right, when you're uh, <laughs> conducting? Uh, they they have talked about my locks, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you don't have to ice your arms afterwards? No, 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 I'm, I'm actually okay with all that. I mean, I, I will be beat, but uh, thankfully it's not like my arms are, are tired. So the worst thing that's – I mean, you're – you're doing eight shows a week for years. Your arms and hair are flailing about. You've never gotten an injury worse than a, a sore neck. <laughs> no, a sore neck is, is about the end of it, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Well, speaking of injuries, um, if we don't address this, it's like like the uh, the elephant in the room. So I'm just going to ask you about it. And uh, there, you know, there's a whole lot of mess going on right now with uh, with Spider-Man. Um, if if you were the if you were the musical director for for this show, uh, I mean, what would would you uh, have any suggestions on how to fix things? Wow, that, that's a really intense question. You know, it, it depends <laughs> on what, where on the totem pole you are as a music director. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, the kind of music directing that I like to do is is pretty all inclusive. Um, I find that I personally am, am happiest when I'm really in the creative part of the process, when I am really contributing ideas to how the music will sound, how the song will go, like what key it's in. And there are other music directors that really just kind of want to be executors, whereby the composer really says, okay, this is the tempo, this is the key, this is how we get from A to B to C to D, and they just need someone to kind of just like carry it out and conduct and play for them. Um, So... You know, to answer your question, I guess it depends on where a person would be on Spider-Man. Like sometimes music directors don't necessarily have the voice, uh, or or really the, um, the the not the clout necessarily, but they don't really have the power or the or the title to make the proper suggestions for a storyline or for how the music can be fixed. So 
you know, it depends on what kind of billing and, and what kind of uh, um, license one is given to, to aid a show like that. So, you know, it, it would be a very tough position to be the kind of music director that is not involved in the creative process because then you really can't do anything. All you do is kind of work with what it is that, uh, you know, that uh, Bono and the Edge have given you and, and, and try to make it work from there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, okay, so let's let's uh, let's take it back a little bit with you. You actually, uh, I read that you started playing piano at age three. Is that true? Uh, age four. Four. Wow. Um, and uh, was it something that came to you naturally? Yeah. I mean, what it was is that uh, I had been bought a toy piano when I was a kid. It's like one of these really small, like wooden things with like probably twenty keys, and they all sounded like. <laughs> And um, I guess the story goes that when I was a kid, I would try to play songs from the radio on the piano. And there was this really popular song of the day called Music Box Dancer. And I would try to play that melody on that piano. And because of that, I was so into the music, um, you know, my parents decided to, to give me lessons upon the, you know, the suggestions of one of my cousins. So, um, you know, it seems to be something that I was always naturally uh, drawn to. I'm, I'm told stories that even when I was two years old, I would sit by the speaker of the radio and just be entranced and, and transfixed. So clearly music is something that I was really drawn to at a young age and really meant a lot to me. So um, it, 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 the music found me, so to speak. Wow. And then you, uh, uh, you went, when you went to college, you went for jazz piano, right? Yeah, I, I, did, I went for everything. I mean, uh, I went to Berkeley College of Music. And Berkeley's awesome because it really is a, a school of contemporary music. So you can go and study jazz, but you can also study rock. You know, you could study Latin music. You could study world music. You, you can really do a little bit of everything. So um, for me, it was the ideal school because I've got such a varied interest in, in styles of music, and I just love everything. So I wanted to learn about everything. And, you know, little did I know that it was really preparing me for, you know, the real world and that it was schooling me in, in styles of music that I would – have not learned about otherwise and wind up using every day in my career. Right. And I, uh, you just mentioned that music kind of found you. I, uh, I, I heard you say that, uh, musical theater also kind of found you, uh, how, how did that, how did this genre, which has been so integral to your life for such a long time now, how did musical theater find you? I went to, uh, an arts junior high school called Southwood, in uh, Miami, and, you know, they had a, an arts department and a music department and a theater department, and uh, I started going there at uh, at seventh grade, and um, this is weird, but uh, the band, uh, I'm sorry, the theater department, their summer show was Bye Bye Birdie, and they needed a bass player. They actually could not find a, a bass player, so they actually called me to go in and play keyboard bass to be in the band. Now, mind you, like, even when I think about this, it's just so odd because I was 12 at the time, dude. And it's like, I, it's uh -huh. so weird. Like, you know, playing amongst, like, people who were, like, you know, in, in their, at the time, their 30s and 40s. And, and it was very, looking back, it was weird that they asked me to do that, but clearly they thought that I was able to do it. So that was really my okay. first case of playing in theater. And right away, there was something about it that I loved. I loved the fact that it was people performing on a stage. I loved that it was a live audience. I loved that it was live performance. And also, the, the theater kids were just, like, fun to be with. They were all just, like, a really cool hang and just really outgoing. And, and just, the, to me, I just found them to be a lot more fun than the music nerds that I was used to hanging out to. And I was a nerd myself, so they made me feel cool, <laughs> you know? And um, it kind of snowballed from there. You know, I, I got invited to play other shows. I, I started, uh, you know, learning about other shows and, and developing my repertoire. And it was just something I just really uh, enjoyed. And it's something that I, I had a knack for, you know, uh, theater students would come to me because they needed their songs put on tape or they came to me because they needed to learn how the song went or they needed me to play for their competition. So I, I was kind of a, a, a big fish in a, in a small pond in my high school. So people would look to me to to play with them, and I just felt very honored because, you know, in, in schools you usually hire people outside of that. You use, hire, you know, established professionals to teach your music and to be in charge of the band but I was at a very young age looked to to, to fill that spot so I, I, I'm very lucky in that way well, That's pretty impressive Do you do you still think that uh, the theater kids are more fun than the music kids? Uh, you know, it's different now. I mean, we all have different vibes and, and different hangs. So, I, you know, I find now that the musician friends I hang with, we all have a blast and the theater people I hang with, we all have a blast too so it's, it's a lot more... Uh, you know, I think now that we're all older and know who we are, it's a different thing. 
<laughs> now that you're not in high school anymore. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. junior high. <laughs> okay, so you uh, were part of one of the biggest musicals, well, a couple of the biggest musicals ever. Let's uh, let's talk about, um, can you just talk a little bit about your experience doing Wicked and, and what the highlights were for you uh, doing that show? Yeah, Wicked was awesome. I mean, I, I feel, again, like talk about good luck. I, I, I feel fortunate in that I met Stephen Schwartz not too long after I moved to New York City, and Stephen Schwartz was something, someone that I admired a lot in my, in you know, in junior high and high school. Like, I knew how to play Pippin, like, from the time I was, you know, 15 years old, and it was a very um, important show for me. Um, and uh, I got to meet Stephen Schwartz, and he uh, would hire me for his shows, and he introduced me to his son, Scott, which is how I worked with Bat Boy the Musical. And so, you know, Stephen uh, Schwartz and Stephen Remus, who was the music director of Wicked, they invited me to come on board. And for me, the highlight was just, you know, getting to work with this guy who I was one of my idols. You know, I, I love Stephen Schwartz's music, and to me, it, it's just so, um, you know, his music is so viscerally uh, emotional and, and earthy, and there's something about his writing style that really resonates with me. And um, one of the highlights for me was just being able to write for the show. Um, you know, I, I wasn't hired, and I wasn't brought on board to be an arranger, per se, but um there were times in rehearsals where things needed to be written and because there were so many rooms happening at once, I was just around. I'm like, okay, well, the music could be like this for the underscoring or we can do it like this. And I kind of just raised my hand and volunteered, you know, ideas. And little by little, those ideas that I was volunteering became part of the show. And um, after a while, Stephen Schwartz acknowledged what I was contributing and, and he, you know, said to me, okay, you're going to be credited and compensated. So, you know, before I knew it, all of a sudden I was part of the team and, and writing stuff that became part of the show. And, um, you know, it all just kind of developed from there. Um, another good highlight of me was getting a chance to work with Bill Brown, uh, amazing orchestrator of Wicked. And what was amazing about watching him work was, you know, I'm a pianist, and I write from the piano. And, um, you know, I would write, say, a scene change cue, and I would hand it to Bill Brown. And in my brain, it always sounded like, okay, the piano would play this, and the piano would lead it. And then when Bill Brown went and orchestrated and he brought it back, like the piano wouldn't play a single note. He had wound up orchestrating this entire thing around the clarinet and around the strings and around the, the trombone and the trumpet. And that was the first time I really started to think outside of the box in, in terms of an orchestrator and see how it is that you could use this whole palette of an orchestra in a way that I was not used to to hearing in my head. So watching him take a piece of music that was written for the piano and transcend it and be able to distribute it among uh, other band members really opened my brain up, and I'm like, wow, this is how it's done. So that was beautiful. And uh, wow. last but not least, you know, getting to work with uh, Edina and uh, Kristen and Joe Gray and, and Norbert, and again, all these people who are just really kind of heavyweights in the field, and I, I was right there with them. You know, it, it was a it's a beautiful thing. I remember when we were in San Francisco, you know, Edina um, had to keep her chops up, and it was very important for her to maintain her voice and be able to to sing all that really demanding material every day. So, you know, singing is like a muscle. you got to keep it. you got to keep it limber. So during every dinner break, she would want to sing through every song. So she would call upon me to meet with her for a half hour every dinner break and play all her songs and play Define Gravity and play The Wizard and I and play No Good Deed one after the other just so she could train herself to be up on it. And, you know, looking back, dude, I was playing for Nina Menzel like every day. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, who gets to do that? So uh, those are all highlights in, in my mind. That's awesome. Um, the last time those two were mentioned in the same breath on Blaze and Rye, Ben uh, Cameron from Wicked was on, and yeah. uh, he said uh, um, working with Indina and Kristen was very wonderful. It was it was great, and they are just so brilliant on stage and absolutely hated each other off stage. <laughs> there was a little bit of drama, yeah. But, uh, they, <laughs> But you know what? It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, the audience doesn't see that. What they see is, is a show. And, and uh, when it came, you know, when it was 8 o'clock, they delivered. And that's, uh, that's what's important. And maybe maybe the drama adds to the energy of the show. No good? Maybe it does, you know. But uh, one would never know it from, uh, <laughs> from watching it. They, they totally played nice on stage. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so and then did you go straight from um, – uh, wicked into the uh, the initial stages of In the Heights. Is that what happened? Yeah, I did actually. As a matter of fact, um, some of the early meetings of In the Heights actually occurred in the basement of the Wicked Theater at the Gershwin. Um, you know, as oh, a really? music director, I had an office 
which was dubbed the Cheetah Lounge because there was a Cheetah wallpaper <laughs> inside uh, inside the office. And uh, you know, on two show days, I would have a, a three hour break between the curtain and and uh, and the, the next show. So we would uh, have in the Heights meetings for like an hour and a half inside the lounge and and uh, you know talk about the show and talk about this idea of a show that we had about this Latin salsa hip hop musical. So <laughs> the the two shows definitely blended at a time in my life. Did you just say that there was a wall made of Cheetos? <laughs> Not the food, the animal, cheetah. <laughs> oh, cheetah, okay. I'm imagining um, it being a very messy room um, with cheeto crumbs <laughs> all over the place. So no, That's not uh, a bad idea. We, we could have done that, too. <laughs> um, maybe throw that idea out to the, uh, the Bring It On people, see if they want to put oh, Cheetos on their set. The Cheeto lounge. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, okay, so you're 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 doing um, you're having these meetings for In the Heights. How did you initially get connected with the In, in the Heights people? Had you known Lin Manuel beforehand? Uh, no, I was actually recommended to the Heights writing team uh, by word of mouth. Uh, I had okay. some mutual friends who were in the workshop, and at the time they had a different music director, and the uh, the writing team was looking for someone else, and they were looking for someone uh, and. Uh, one of the actors said to them, hey, I know this guy who's from Miami, he's Cuban, he's a music director, he arranges, I think he'd be perfect for the show. And, you know, one phone call led to another, and, and, and that's how I met them all. Wow. So just one person talked to another person, and then, and then there you go, and then you were part of – so the workshop, um, when you were doing that, did you did you have a sense at all that it would turn into um, this this huge show that it became – Yes and no. I mean, I knew okay. right away that there was something really special and unique about the show, and I could recognize even before we had even gotten off Broadway, like even before off Broadway was even a dream, I recognized that there was something really important about the show. I recognized that there was something really unique in Lin Manuel Miranda and what he was writing and what he was saying. So we would get together every week just to work on the show and make it better. But never did we think, oh, one day we're going to be on Broadway and we're going to win a Tony and we're going to have a Grammy and all that stuff. That was never like what we were envisioning. We were just working on the show that we loved and something that we knew was special. So we were just all drawn to it like a magnet. So to answer your question, you know, I, I never really predicted the 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 heights, quote unquote, that we would uh, uh, achieve. But uh, I knew that there was something special about what we were doing. So I. I didn't care where it went. All I knew is that I needed to be a part of it. And apparently, I mean, you, you had a, a good um, sense that you needed to be a part of it because you left this huge, award-winning, um, popular, hugely successful Wicked um, to go work on this new show. Was that a difficult decision to make, or did, did you just know that it was the right decision to make at the time? Well, it was a couple of things. Um, when I left Wicked, I had already been a part of it for two and a half years. Um, you know, from when we went to San Francisco and from having played in the pit to conducting it. So um, for me, I, I'm not necessarily a creature of habit in that way. I, I'm happiest when I'm actually creating and, and starting something from the beginning. So by the time I left Wicked, we had already finished working on it. You know what I mean? It's like there was nothing new to it, and it just became the repetition. So uh, I, I was ready to move on because I was hungry to, to do something new. Um, so I, I left Wicked at a time when I'm like, you know what, I've, I've done this and, and uh, I, I need to just, uh, you know, uh, forge new territory. So In the Heights just happened to come right around that time. And, yes, I did leave Wicked. And, uh, you know, I had a, a couple years of, you know, not steady employment, but I had enough projects to rolling around that would keep me, you know, working on something new. Like right after I left Wicked, I was working on Legally Blonde workshops. I was working on... Uh, in the Heights workshops, and I became uh, the music supervisor for High Fidelity. So really, one after the other, I had all these cool shows that allowed me to to be creative and to to be uh, working. Yeah. Um, so, well, when you went uh, into In the Heights, you were kind of you put your faith in a formula that hadn't really been explored on Broadway before, and that it mixes hip hop with Sondheim influenced musical theater. And uh, were you um, were you ever concerned that the older crowds that tend to go to the theater wouldn't respond well to the hip hop, or did you did you think that it was just such a unique thing that it would uh, be really popular with all ages? You know, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, we were never writing to try to appeal to anyone. We were just writing mm -hmm. what we loved and what felt right to us. And I think 
that if once anyone tries to cater to any demographic, you're going to start shutting other people out, and you're also going to start uh, not being true. I think um, you know you can't set out to accomplish something like that because you will fail. So really, all we did was try to write the best thing that we could, and as a result, you know, it all worked out for the better because the older crowd that you were asking about, even though they might not listen to hip hop. They would come out of our show saying, you know what, I hate rap, but I love In the Heights. <laughs> you know, yeah. They were able to recognize that the rap was used in a way that was uh, telling a story, and that, uh, you know, and, but also the, the rap was using a, a vocabulary that we are, were able to understand and, and, and listen to and follow. So, um, you know, it just presented hip-hop in an arena that one is not used to hearing or seeing hip-hop. So I am certain that in the Heights has opened a lot of people's ears to hip-hop, and people are probably buying hip-hop records where they might not have before because they're like, oh, wow, this genre is really cool, and it has something to say. So, um, yeah, I, I'm thrilled that that happened as a result. But uh, to answer your question, no, we didn't uh, set out trying to, you know, think about what it was that an older crowd would have thought. Uh, after you say that, I'm imagining, like, old grandmothers going into record stores and buying Wu-Tang albums and stuff like that. <laughs> That would be a sight. Yeah, well, if only there were any record stores any anymore, I guess that wouldn't really happen oh, anymore. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Alex, you when you met um, Lin Manuel Miranda the first time, was there? Did, did you know that you two would? Um, I mean, was there like some sort of creative spark that you could sense, uh, or was it just a casual meeting? With, uh, take me through that. You know, it's funny. Someone else has asked me that, that same question uh, earlier today. I, I don't particularly remember what that meeting was. I mean, I remember that we met, and I remember that it was at the, the basement of the drama bookshop in New York City on 41st Street, and I remember that Bill Sherman was there, Lynn manuel was there, and Tommy was there, and it was the four of us. But I don't particularly remember, like, what we did. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, obviously we must have hit it off. And I think Lynn, you know, I think he played for me the beginnings of It Won't Be Long Now. And I think um, maybe the beginnings of No Mediga. I honestly don't remember. But, yes, there was something very special about it. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> so we hit it off, and, you know, our sense of humor is really meshed. And uh, just our working styles were, were really uh, just complementary to each other. You know, I think um, – What's great is that, you know, Lin Manuel. He, he's such an innately amazing musician, but he doesn't. Uh, uh, he doesn't. He plays piano, but not uh, totally fluidly. So, in a way, Lin needs uh, a uh, you know an actual trained pianist to execute what it is that he needs to hear. So we complemented each other in that way. So I was able to, you know, discern what it was that Lin meant and what he needed to hear. You know, at the time when we first started meeting for In the Heights. You know, there wasn't really much sheet music for what Lynn was writing. Like, what he would do, would he would bring in lyric sheets with chord symbols written above the lyrics. And, you know, he could sit down at the piano and, and convey what it was that he meant, but uh, then he would say, all right, Lack, play it. So I would have to sit down at the piano and follow along his chord changes and then add, you know, a little bit of myself into the way I played it and contribute ideas. So, um <clears throat> In a way, you know, what I contributed was just like an extension of, of Lin Manuel's brain, <laughs> which is a great place to be because uh, you know he lays the groundwork and he says he gives you the skeleton and like this is what it is, this is what it needs to sound like, and then uh, you know it's mine and Bill Sherman's job to really paint by numbers. You know, it's kind of like Lin create, gives us a coloring book <laughs> and then we have the crayons. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I would imagine it's a little more complicated than that, though. No? <laughs> well, you know, if you want to get to the nuts and bolts of it, but uh, you know, and the big picture is it's it's that's really what it is. You know, we uh we connect the dots and we fill in the colors. <laughs> I like that. Um I noticed that when when Lin Manuel uh left uh the first time you uh you played Beat It by Michael Jackson. I thought that was brilliant send off. Were you disappointed when he returned to the show? <laughs> was I disappointed when he returned? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we were happy to have him back. It was great. <laughs> you know, uh, um, no one doesn't like Lynn, you know. Yeah, um, and when you when you look back at your involvement within the Heights, uh, Alex, it's uh, what, what do you think um, were some highlights there? What were your your favorite moments of that whole process? You know, um, again, we were talking about me leaving Wicked. 
Um, Wicked is what you call a stand-up conducting gig, meaning you're at a podium with a baton in your hand and you don't actually play an instrument. Uh, Within the Heights, when I conducted, I was actually at the piano. So I'm actually happiest when I'm making music. You know, uh, I I would rather be sitting at a piano and being part of the band because when you're up conducting, like at Wicked, it's like you're a lifeguard. You know, the whole band is playing; they're all in the pool, but like you want to get in the pool. (laughs) You know, so uh, that to me was what I enjoyed about Heights. So one of the highlights for me was just being able to play with this fierce ass band that we had down there and these amazing group of players playing this really challenging music and playing this genre that people aren't used to hearing. So I love that we were able to, you know, add some uh, or, or, or convey some kind of authenticity to these styles and be able to, you know, have like, like a really legitimate salsa band. I mean, you know, we're definitely weren't the kind of band that you would hire to play a wedding somewhere, but we, we definitely had enough of a salsa knowledge that we could rock out this music. So I really loved <laughs> making that music every day and I love being in the center of it. You know, being the conductor, you got the best scene in the house. And you're up right yeah. on the stage and you're up there making contact with the actors and really being with them and, and being part of the show. So um, you know, being a music director is, is a really um kinda interesting position because you're in the background but at the same time you're very much in the foreground. So it's exactly where I like to be. You know, like I don't want to be up on the stage and like you know having the lights on me and have nothing to really hang on to. I kind of like that I'm in the back, supporting and laying down a foundation. But at the same time, I acknowledge that I'm very much a part of the process and that without me, you know, it, uh, something would be missing. So I'm right in this really like important nebulous middle ground about really being needed but also like not being noticed. So it's exactly a, a, a great place for me. I, I kind of like it. Well, that whole really being needed but not being noticed thing is that, you know, the conductors are often the unsung heroes of musicals. Is that why you keep your, your hair so tall so people do notice? <laughs> no, nah, that's just coincidence. <laughs> you okay. know, but I, I have to say, um, you know, what's unique about In the Heights is that, you know, I, I won't lie. I mean, definitely, you know, we all want some attention. We all want acknowledgement. So, you know, the fact that In the Heights has brought me some kind of a uh, – uh, quote unquote notoriety is really a blessing and an honor. Like you know, the fact that you even wanted to talk to me <laughs> for this interview is, is really amazing because I I find that uh, it's very rare that music directors do get noticed and do get approached. So um, the fact that we have been interviewed and the fact that you know that we've been uh, uh, noticed and, and uh, paid attention to, I, I think it's a, it's a huge uh, thing for music directors, a huge thing for writers, and and I'm really honored that that I'm kind of you know, sought out. So, uh, you know, that's, that's basically a way of saying thank you for, for reaching out to me, but uh, also an acknowledgement that, you know, it is nice to, to have that attention and I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, well, I'm, I'm honored you're, you're on here. And uh, as I said before, I've been, um, I've, you know, appreciated your work for years now. So uh, you, uh, uh, and um, let's, well, while we're talking about uh, in the Heights and, and your favorite moments, um, was Tony Knight one of them? Absolutely, dude. Yeah, that was crazy. That was bananas. <laughs> it was a, a night that I will never forget the rest of my life, and and uh, a, a wonderful acknowledgement for for the show and what we had what we had achieved. Yeah, um, I when um, our mutual friend Jonathan Demar uh, suggested your name to me, I I immediately said, "Was he the guy with the hair who was laughing at Lin Manuel Miranda's speech in his seat?" <laughs> and uh, and he said, "Yes, yes, that's him." Um, so I knew exactly who he was talking about. And um, did, did you know that he was going to freestyle his speech? I did not. He had told me he was going to rap it, but uh, I didn't know that he was going to freestyle it. <laughs> that that was cool to watch. That's why I, I, I kind of lost it when he dropped that Sondheim reference. I mean, that that's the part in the speech where I literally got up out of my chair <laughs> with, with glee. <laughs> did you did you freestyle your speech? Uh. I did, and you know what? That's one of my biggest regrets that I did that um, because I, our, our speech was really like sloppy. You know, uh, it's really interesting because like just before they called her name, I, I, I have to admit I had like a this weird, serene peace come over me. It was really hard to describe, but like literally like ten minutes before we won, I just knew that we were going to win. And um, when I got up there, like, I really, like, it's just like they say, the cliche was true. You get up there and you just forget who you want to thank. And in my mind, like, I thought that Bill and I were just going to go back and forth and thank people and, 
before I knew it, I said, hey, here's Bill, and I had to really thank the people that I wanted to thank, and then our speech was over, and they played us off, and that was it. So I'm like, oh, man. So it, it was kind of a, a missed opportunity on that end. So I had learned my lesson after that. So when we went to the Grammys, I had a list of people in my suit pocket, and I whipped it out when it was time to, to announce it. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, a freestyling the speech is, is not, not recommended unless you're Lynn. <laughs> Okay, so by freestyling, you mean you winged it, you didn't actually rap it, right? Yeah, exactly. I know you were asking about rapping, but uh, sorry, I just went off the tangent. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Whatever the audience gets is right. You got that right, whatever I asked you. Um, but uh, you just mentioned the Grammys. Um, what was that experience like? Did you uh, expect to be nominated and win a Grammy? Uh, you know, I was really thrilled that we got nominated, and I really wanted to win, so I was stoked that we did. You know, uh, Bill and I, we flew all the way out to L.A. to be a part of it because, like, we're like, dude, when else are we going to get nominated for a Grammy and be able to go? So what was amazing yeah. is that, you know, those awards are given at the early part of the day. So we were, you know, not in the actual arena of the Staples Center. We were kind of in a, a larger kind of, um, you know, ballroom kind of looking thing. And uh, our award was given pretty early. Like, out of the 100 to be given, ours was like, you know, 25 or something. So we mm -hmm. were announced, and we got up there, we made a speech, and then we actually went back and crashed the party. <laughs> we we were just there the rest of the presentation. So it was good that we got our stuff out of the way and were just able to relax and enjoy and, and have a great time. So it was a really, again, a, a memorable day. Not to mention that we That's got all. to see friggin' Stevie Wonder on a stage and – Looked out at the audience and like, oh look, there's Robert Plant. And like, oh look, there's uh, Coldplay. Oh look, Jay Z just got on the stage. And that was crazy, dude. Which uh, was this the one? Was that the one when Jay Z performed with Ti and Lil Wayne and Kanye? Yes, where they all came out. Uh, oh, what did they do? I can't remember. But yeah, that, that's the, the the one that they did. But also Jay Z. Swagger like us. What's that? Swagger like us. That's the one. But he also got up and rapped with Coldplay. <laughs> that was like unexpected. Yeah, that's And that awesome. was also the Grammys where Radiohead came out and played with the USC marching band. That was bananas. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you say that that was a hot performance or a hot mess of a performance? Dude, hot, hot, hot. White hot. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> um, well, while we're talking about the Grammys and, and Tony Knight, um, can you share any uh, debaucherous stories that happened at any after parties? <laughs> um. No. <laughs> it was all pretty tame. No, we we all did pretty good. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um well, okay, so I mentioned hot or hot mess before. This means we're gonna play a game we always play on the show. It's called Hot or Hot Mess. I give you a list of things. You tell me if they're hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready, dude. Okay, let's open it up. That's awesome. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm gonna. Uh, we need a, we need a, another person here, so I'm gonna bring on uh, Jonathan Demar. Are you there? Yes, I am. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, Jonathan. How you doing? <laughs> hey, Alex. How are you? I'm good, dude. Thanks for uh, recommending me to be on this. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Okay. So uh, here we go. First up on Hot or Hot Mess. Uh, paper towels, are they hot or a hot mess? Uh, Jonathan DeMar, you start. They're always hot. They're always hot. Okay. <laughs> Alex? <laughs> uh, paper towels are hot, but if you uh, leave them on the floor, a hot mess. That's very true. <laughs> um, Jersey Shore, hot or hot mess? Alex? Hot. DeMar? Hot mess. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm surprised that you said hot. Do you, you, you watch the show, Alex? You know, I don't. I watch clips, but, man, that's all you need to see. <laughs> you get the gist. It's that. amazing. I that's true. That. I mean, you know, I, I mean, the characters, yes, they are a hot mess, but the show itself, hot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, how about Justin Bieber? Uh, Alex Lackamore. <laughs> Well, I mean, he, he is hot in, in the word that he's uh, up there, and he's very popular, and the kids dig him, uh, so he's popular. But I don't know enough about him, his music, to say that he's a hot mess of a person. So I, I, is there a neutral? Can I be neutral? 
Uh, you can you can do a hot hot mess if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> sure, hot hot mess. <laughs> uh, you can also phone a friend. We have that lifeline now. Oh uh, man, Jonathan, I probably should use that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jonathan, Justin Bieber. I'd say hot hot mess as well. I've been going back and forth here, but uh, I mean he's on top. Uh, Alex, you know, definitely put that out. But uh, I think uh, just some people are not. I guess the fact that he's 16 and doing it, there's some sort of um, uncomfortableness with that. But um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess with some people. But uh, I mean, he's extremely talented. I think the image is a little, uh, dare I say it, a little, you know, gangster at times. <laughs> he, is, he is posing a little bit. I agree. Yeah, it's, <laughs> even saying shorty at 16. I mean, I kind of think to myself, wow. How's this kid being raised, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that falls in the hot mess category for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm neutral. Uh, Al- uh, Alex, when you said you should have phoned a friend, who would you have phoned to ask about Justin Bieber? I would phone Middle America. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, speaking of that, um, American Idol, hot or hot mess, Jonathan DeMar. I think it's a better show than it's ever been. I think they're really looking into the music and the talent. I mean, I it's uh, I know they're premiering the live thing tonight, but um, so I haven't gotten to really see Jimmy Iovine work with the contestants. But I think it's a nice format. It'll probably be better than any of the other idols, just because I think now you have people who have been through the same thing. You don't really have right. you know a PR person just giving, you know, sort of taste comments, if you will. So I think it's okay. Okay, and Alex? You know, I I actually can't comment because I have not watched it in a very long time. Uh, You know, what I read about it, it seemed like with the swapping of the hosts and the the judges, it sounded like it could have fallen into the hot mess category. But, uh, you know, Jonathan made it sound like it could be hot. So uh, I actually am uneducated on this one. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Um, and uh, last up for this portion of Hot or Hot Mess, uh, Christopher Jackson, Hot or Hot Mess, Alex Blackamore. Hot. Dude, he's the best. Have you heard his new record? Amazing. He's the best. I, I think Chris Jackson will always be in the hot category. All right. And Jonathan DeMar? Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> hot, hot, hot. I agree with both of you there. This next part of Hot or Hot Mess, uh, I'm going to play you guys a series of audio clips. You tell me if they're Hot or Hot Mess. These are all clips from our show. Um, first up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is Broadway's own Jonathan DeMar's Rip Torn impression. And after that, he sort of says, he says, somebody owes me a martini, and the whole <laughs> table cracks up. He's like, somebody owes me a martini. Uh, Alex? <laughs> hot. <laughs> uh, Jonathan? Alex, thank God you didn't say hot mess. <laughs> that would have been awkward. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, but uh, Alex, he plays this like all the time, so I'm sort of used to it by now. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, hot. Keep it hot. Okay. Next up on hot or hot mess, this is uh, Broadway's own Leah Delaria's Ethel Merman impression. There's no business like show business like no business I know. There. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan DeMar? Always hot, always hot. It's so spot on. <laughs> and Alex? Yeah, it's pretty good. I have to say hot, but you could tell she wasn't giving her full-out performance. So, you know, it, it's uh, almost in the hot mess category, but uh, it, it did sound like her, so I'll put it on hot. <laughs> so am I getting a hot mess? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give it a hot. How about a hot? <laughs> <laughs> hot. Now, now we're using Just the syllables <laughs> I, 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 I keep, keep bending the rules here, dude. I'm so sorry. I'm like totally straying from your format. I hope that's okay. <laughs> no, it'll improve oh. the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Next up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is uh, Matt Lizey from the Fantastics Off Broadway. Uh, anything can happen in live radio, as we witnessed earlier in the program. This is what happened when we had a little problem in the middle of our show. Oh my God, I was choking for a second. Ooh. Hang on. <laughs> okay, no problem. You okay? Uh, yeah. Um, you're gonna laugh at me. I got like, I'm eating French fries. Um, it's kind of, uh-huh. kind of ap- apropos, but um, one got lodged in my throat. 
But anyway, um, <laughs> Alex Lackamore. Hot mess. Hot mess. <laughs> and Jonathan? Textbook hot mess. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, oh, by the way, uh, DeMar, uh, Shallow End in the chat room said if John DeMar got a martini for every time Ryan played that somebody owes me a martini clip, he'd be dead of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Next up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is Hip Hop Legend Biz Marquee beatboxing on our show. John DeMar. That is definitely hot. Definitely hot. And Alex. You, you got what I need. <laughs> Okay, and last up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is for the, the ladies in the chat room. Uh, this is uh, a duet between me and As the World Turns superstar Jake Silverman. <laughs> okay, this dude bounces after the course. The remix to Ignition, hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mama rolling that body, got every man in it with him. Living on coke and rum, I'm like the autumn drum. It's a freaking weekend, baby, I'm about to have it some fun. Bounce, 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 bounce. Right? Hot or hot mess, Alex? <laughs> well, I. I couldn't tell what was going on there, <laughs> so I have to say it was under the hot mess category, but you guys were having a good time, so that makes it hot. <laughs> wow, you're, you're so – I can't get a committed hot mess from you. I wouldn't yeah, think of Yeah, I'm very committed, dude. I, I see both sides of every story. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan DeMar? I mean, that's that's pretty much a good thing, but uh, – I mean, I said it again. You guys should plan a tour, but um, maybe a little <laughs> auto-tuning might do it. I don't know. Uh, it's hot. I'm going with like a medium hot, not full out hot. <laughs> okay, medium hot. Um, great. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on and playing. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Hey, absolutely. And uh, by the way, I just want to mention uh, to some of the listeners who don't know, um, I met Alex, actually. Um, I was a drum student. and have a mutual friend who's uh, uh, John Berger, who does a lot of the subbing gigs. And uh, this was, I think, off-Broadway. That was yeah. like the first time I actually heard a lot of the music. And I was just so impressed um, with, you know, the orchestrations and the way you sort of conducted. And, I, you know, I could tell if something was on or off, you were really in there with the music. And, you know, from what John was telling me, I was so impressed. And uh, I can't thank you enough. And, uh, you know, you're one of the first people I thought of because uh, you have such an extended resume. And, not only that, but you're an incredibly nice guy. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, take care, Ryan. Okay, take care, Jonathan. Thank you. Take care, man. Okay. Um, Alex, you, you're from L.A. and Miami, right? Yes, and then I went to school in Boston, and um, now I live in New York. So are you okay, being that you, you were born and grew up in these these sunny climates. Are, are you all right in the New York weather? Uh, I got used to it. It, it wasn't easy, but uh, I am now. Oh, okay. Good. Um, I spent a couple of years in L.A. after college, and I uh, I couldn't get used to the, the there not being seasons. I needed a seasonal change. Yeah. Don't no understand. Good. I mean, I, I, I actually, you know, I, I when it, it's in the doldrums and it's the dead of winter and it's like, oh, this is terrible. You actually can't wait for spring to happen. But I got to admit, like, actually having a spring, it's not like my favorite season of the year. And you don't get that everywhere. So it, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, man. Um, you know, before we get off the this topic uh, completely, uh, it, I just wanted to mention to you that In the Heights is one of my favorite musicals of all time. I've seen it multiple times. Um, uh, it's just it's a beautiful, moving uh, uh, piece, uh, and it's entertaining, and the characters are so likable, and it's uh, it's just um, you know I appreciate everything that went into it and everything you put into it, and I just wanted to say thank you because um, it's it's a really great show, and you know it it you know they always say in, in theater 
theater is all about kind of making people's lives a little bit better for that night or whatever. And that happened every time I saw it in the Heights. So I just wanted to give you props for that. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Oh, shizzle. Um, okay. So we're going to play uh, one more game. It's called Sheen or West, uh, where I give you some quotes and you tell me if they were said by Charlie Sheen or Kanye West, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go. If the Bible was written today, I would be in it. Is that Kanye or Charlie Sheen? Kanye. Very good. Um, how about, I'm tired of pretending I'm not a total bitchin' rock star from Mars. <laughs> I think it's Sheen, actually. It is Sheen. Very good. Ah, I, I sensed a trick question in that. I knew it. All right. <laughs> what happened? I sensed that it was a trick question. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, well, you said it was Sheen, then, Sheen, right? It is Sheen, yes. Yeah, it's the whole rock star thing was meant to throw a curveball, but I, I got you on it. <laughs> oh, I hear you. You know, I didn't even think about that one as throwing curve. There's another one. Well, you'll we'll see when it happens. Okay, um, okay. How right, about <laughs> how about this one? If you're part of my family, I will love you violently. Ah, uh, that's Sheen. Very good. How about, I'm sorry, man, I got magic and I've got poetry in my fingertips, you know, most of the time, and this includes naps. And this includes what? Naps. A naps? Kanye. <laughs> that, this is the confusing one. This is actually Charlie Sheen. Ah, uh, son of a, I was doing so well. Yes. Because it's the poetry thing that confused me, so I, yeah. I actually get Kanye totally. as well, yeah. Totally. Huh? <laughs> How about, uh, Taylor, I'm going to let you finish. Kanye West or Charlie Sheen? <laughs> uh, oh, Taylor, I'm going to let you finish. Oh, that's Kanye. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How about, I don't know what's better, getting laid or getting paid? <laughs> wow. Um, damn, that's a good one. I'm going to say that is uh, Kanye. Very good. Do you know that? Okay. Are you familiar with that line at all? I'm not. It's in uh, Dilated People's song featuring Kanye West, and it's a great, he has this great verse, and at the end of it, he's like, I don't know what's better, getting laid or getting paid, I don't know when I'm getting one, the other's getting away, this way, and it goes into the chorus. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, that was hot, dude, that that actually goes in the hot category. Thank you, thank you, I, I could, um, you, you know, you ever need a, a, a new snobby, I'm your man. <laughs> Word. Um, okay, how about this one? The run I was on made Sinatra, Flynn, Jagger, Richards, all of them look like droopy-eyed, armless children. <laughs> uh, Kanye. That scene, actually. Son of a... Oh. Okay, and last one we're doing here. The only thing I'm addicted to right now is winning. Oh, that's Sheen. Classic scene, right? Yeah, yes. would. <laughs> okay. Um, well, Alex, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Good luck with everything with uh, Bring It On. Um, is there is there a, like a time frame for when the uh, – you said it's opening at the Amundsen, right? When is the date of that? Yeah, we actually open on 11-11-11, November 11, 2011. Oh, wow. Easy to remember. Is that right? like a lucky, is that a lucky date or a cursed date? Oh, Let's super lucky. lucky. Are you kidding me? Super lucky. Yeah, got to be. Um, cool. And uh, is there anything else uh, you want to say before we go? I just want to say thank you for having me on. Uh, again, I, I'm honored to uh, have been approached, and uh, thank you for uh, for having me on. I had a great time. Yeah, man. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for doing it, sir. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. No doubt. Okay, that was Alex Lockamore. Um, be sure to check out Bring It On when it comes to your town. And if you haven't yet... Um, Go see the, uh, the the tour of In the Heights. It is an incredible, incredible show. I uh, wanted to thank all the Blazonettes for tuning in. Um, thanks for playing along to the, the Charlie Sheen. Oh, and Nicole says, uh, oh, yeah, Rise Kanye should be a new clip in Hot or Hot Mess, too. <laughs> I think Alex already answered it, Nicole. I think it's, I think it's hot already. We, we know it's hot. No good? All right. Fair enough. Um, it seems like the chat room was a little uh, more behaved tonight, so, you know, you guys got to work on your, your poor behavior. Um, try to get it more like last night. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember that next Thursday we got Selena Carvajal, and um, 
uh, Wednesday we have a big show, but I will I will announce that to you a little later tonight on Twatter. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Big thanks to Alex Lackamore. Thank you to Jonathan DeMar for hooking it up and for calling in. And I can think of no way better to end this show than to say, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. And lastly, uh, Jonathan, do you want to take us home? Somebody owes me a martini and a refund for Spider-Man. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.